Lord, I do want to praise you. I want to thank you for your grace among us. Thank you for the generosity of your people. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your kingdom purposes. And Lord, I do want to praise you for our friends, our family at Georgiana United Methodist. Thank you that we get to do this each year. Thank you that we get to have fun while we do this. Lord, I thank you for my friend Corky, and I pray blessing over him today in the generous, generous gifts of Georgiana. Lord, as they have given to your kingdom for the glory of your name and the good of your people, may they be blessed, God, as we have been blessed by them. And Lord, I pray for Pastor Luis and the people of God there under his leadership in Palm Bay. I pray that you would use him to mightily lead a work for the Spanish-speaking people of South Brevard County. And Lord, may they be filled with joy today as they know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning, we need you to teach us your word. And so, Father, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to saturate our hearts and lives, that we would hear what you would want us to hear, learn what you would want us to to know and reflect the glory of Jesus as we do. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen, amen. If you would, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're going to continue our study on the parables of Jesus. And as you turn to Luke chapter 12 and the parable that's there, let me just ask you a real quick question. Have you ever considered the irony of what will occur this Thursday and Friday? Here's what I mean. Thursday, families will gather together and give thanks for all they have. If you're like my family, you'll probably spend a few moments going around the table giving specific thanks for the specific things that are uh, in your life and you're thankful for them. But if you're anything like most families in our culture, the leftovers on Thursday will barely even cool before you head out and start shopping to get more stuff. Last year, Americans spent $10 billion on just Black Friday and Cyber Monday alone. All told, we as a culture spend nearly $1 trillion celebrating Christmas in America. And I find it incredibly ironic That we pause on Thursday to bow our heads and give thanks for what we have, and then we head out shopping because we're convinced we need more stuff, right? Now listen, I'm not against gift exchanges. I hope that you know that. If you follow uh, my wife on Facebook, you'll know that um, we've got our Christmas tree up. We've decorated weeks ago. We exchange gifts. We love presents. We've actually purchased a few presents already for our kids, and so I'm not preaching against that. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but I do believe it's really important That as we enter into this season of the year, that we would be guarded in our hearts from a greed and a materialism that runs rampant this time of year. And even more than me thinking that, Jesus actually has something to say about it. He tells this parable that we'll be studying, and he's sharing with us that it's important for us to be guarded, to be careful about how we see the, the materials, the things of this world. And so as we make our way into Thanksgiving and Black Friday and Cyber Monday and the 12 days of Christmas and all the days in between, let's hear what Jesus has to say to people like us in this room. Look at Luke chapter 12, and I'm going to begin reading here in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care 
And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of God for us this morning and in this season in the life of our our nation. In this chapter, as you study Luke chapter 12, what you'll see is that Jesus has been teaching about all kinds of really heavy matters. Things like being killed for your faith or spending eternity in heaven or hell. He, He talks about how God values his children, how he loves them and will provide for them. He promises to take care of them. And then out of the blue, in the middle of all of that teaching, this guy who apparently has zero social awareness just shouts out and rudely interrupts Jesus in verse 13. I can just hear this numbskull asking this question that he thinks is proving his point. He says, hey, Jesus, I know we're more valuable than many sparrows. You know what else is valuable? My inheritance. Tell my brother to share it with me. And so this guy gets kind of dragged into this place where he's asking Jesus to solve a family dispute over the inheritance. He's a real classy guy interrupting Jesus, but Jesus doesn't get dragged in the mud with this guy. However, rather than going down the road he wants him to go down, Jesus does take the opportunity to use this interruption as a point of teaching. And look at verse 15. It says, Jesus said to them, he's talking about everyone around. So this guy asks a question and Jesus doesn't just say to him, he says to everyone around, this is an important thing for all of you to hear, for all of us to hear. And look what Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Stop right there. The word for covetousness there is sometimes translated greed, and it's referring to a word that literally means to be thirsty for more and more and more and to not be able to quench your thirst. Have you guys ever been working out in the yard and you got so overheated that you just could not drink enough to quench your thirst? That's how thirsty I get just walking to my car in August in Florida, okay? You get so hot and thirsty, you just never can say, that it's enough. Well, that's the same kind of picture Jesus is painting when he uses that word covetous. It means that you have this appetite, this hunger, this thirst, where you want more and more and more and more, and you can never say that's enough. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, you need to be warned about that. You need to be on guard. He he says, take care and be on guard there. He's basically using language that you would use to warn a city about a sneak attack from the enemy. He's saying, there's there's something you need to be aware of, and it's sneaky. And it's going to come at some point when you least expect it, when you may not even see it if you're not watching out for it. It's it's a heart that's filled with greed that wants more and more and more and can never say that's enough. Jesus says, watch out for it. And church, don't pass over 
what he's saying there too quickly because Jesus isn't just talking to a group of people 2,000 years ago. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to us and what Jesus is saying to you this morning. If you want to hear a word from Christ in his word, the Bible, then you need to hear what he's saying right now. He's saying, listen, friend, there is a sneak attack coming. Be careful. Be on guard. Watch out. Don't let your guard down because there's something that will sneak in and it will destroy you. And you know what the threat is? The threat is a heart that's marked by greed and covetousness that wants more and more and more and can never say that's enough. So be alert, guys. Be on guard because it will destroy your soul. That's the warning. And then he gives this parable to sort of illustrate the point. And I'm not going to read the parable again, but just think through the scenario here. There's a very rich farmer who has a bumper crop. He's got a great crop that comes in one year, and apparently he has more than he can actually store because none of his existing barns are big enough. And so he has more than what he needs. So he asks himself this question. He says, what will I do with what I have? And, and he comes, I think, to a pretty interesting conclusion to that, to that question. Look at verse 18 and see what he concludes as he says, what should I do with what I have? Verse 18. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, now, don't miss what Jesus is saying here in a really subtle way. It took me a few days to kind of form my thoughts about this, but Jesus is saying something here that's really powerful, and it connects back to that greedy heart that wants more and more and never says that it's enough. What Jesus is showing us is this rich man has a greedy heart that causes him to believe a terrible lie. And here's the terrible lie that this rich, greedy man believes. Instead of believing he had more than he needed, he believed he needed more than he had. You see that, right? He has a big crop that comes in. He's already rich. Jesus starts the parable by saying he's already rich, not he gets rich. He already owns lands. He already has farms. He already has barns. He already has houses. He already had a storehouse that was big enough to meet his need. But here he is with more than he'd expected, and he sees his newfound increase and believes a terrible lie. Instead of believing that he had more than he needed, he believed he needed more than he had. He could have given away all the excess and he still would have been rich. He was rich before he had the bumper crop. But something had happened. Greed had invaded his heart. He wasn't aware. He hadn't kept guard. He thought he needed more than he had. So he had to build a bigger barn. He suffered from a terrible disease that I call the bigger barn syndrome. And friends, you need to know something about bigger barn syndrome. It is as pervasive and deceitful as it has ever been in the history of the world. You and I are living among the most prosperous peoples on the face of 
the earth throughout the entire history of the world. Many of you have traveled the world over. Like you, I've been to different parts of the world, Central America, the Middle East, East Asia, Southeast Asia. I've been to some of the largest cities on this planet, Mexico City, Manila, Philippines. I've seen poverty with my own eyes. I've had to step over orphan children sleeping on the streets at night and no children who had to climb through the dumps in their city searching for scraps of food. And the reality is this, if you look around the world, middle-class America is wealthier than most people in the world have ever dreamed of being. And I've got no doubt that if Jesus were teaching this, this parable and he was telling our story to the group of people in Luke 12, he very well may say a certain rich American had more than he needed. Guys, you may not consider yourself rich, but let me just ask you this. Do you have a home? Do you have transportation? Do you have a little money in the bank? Do you have more than you absolutely need to survive? Then whether you know it or not, you fit the description Jesus gives of the rich man. And I'll tell you, I'm right there with you. Beware then, Jesus says, to people like us, People who in comparison to the rest of the world throughout all time are are rich. Beware of bigger barn syndrome because there's a question that you're asking yourself that's just like the rich man, whether you know it or not. And the question you're asking is, what will I do with what I have? Whether you're saying it out loud or to yourself or not aware you're saying it at all, you're constantly asking what will I do with what I have? And the rich man viewed his increase to mean that he needed more than he had instead of seeing that he already had more than he needed. And it determined how he did what he did with what he had. And the question is, what about you? The, 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 the bigger barn, guys, may be a car, It might be a house, it might be a phone, it might be a TV, a vacation, some stocks, 401k. Now listen, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Jesus is teaching that money is evil. I'm not saying that if you have some stuff, even nice stuff, that it's wrong. I'm not saying that Jesus says it's wrong to save or to have a car or to have a home or to even have a nice home or a nice car. I'm not saying it's wrong for us to plan for our future or our retirement. And am I saying that? No, I'm not saying that. Emily and I actually just had to have our whole roof replaced on a house that we live in that is nicer than any house we planned on having when we first got married. We had to have the roof replaced because it leaked as a result of a storm. And we were able to replace the roof because we pay every single month to carry insurance on the home that we live in. And we don't believe that planning for our future that way and spending money in that way is foolish or unwise or ungodly. I believe there's wisdom to planning and preparing for our future. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus isn't saying money's evil. Am I saying Jesus is saying money's evil? But we don't need to diminish what he is saying. Jesus is talking about something that's a whole lot deeper than our wallets. He's talking about our hearts. He's talking about our souls. He's saying 
that what's going on in our heart will be revealed in our checkbook. And all the millennials say, what's a checkbook? Look at what happens. Verse 19. The rich man says, I will say to my soul. Do you ever talk to yourself like this? I do. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat. Drink. Be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This guy thinks he's preparing for his future. I'm preparing for my future happiness. I'm preparing for my future rest. I'm just preparing for my future joy. But God shows up and he says, man, you are a fool. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know the Bible actually warns us about flippantly calling people fools. As a matter of fact, very few times in Scripture will you find someone justifiably being called a fool. But there's one passage that jumps out in many of our minds. Psalm 14.1 is where the Bible, through the power of the Holy Spirit, calls somebody a fool. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Fools live as though there is no God, whether they say it out loud with their mouths or not. Fools live like God does not exist. Fools are people who are atheists, if not in word, in deed. And that's absolutely true of this rich man. This rich man was a practical atheist. He failed to recognize that God was the one who had already given him everything he had. I hope you notice how Jesus described the rich man's crop in verse 16. Look what he says. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. It's really Interesting way of saying that. He he doesn't say a rich man worked really hard and had a very big crop. Jesus puts the emphasis on something that was outside of this man's control. It's certain that the rich man probably worked hard. He plowed, he planted, he watered, he worked, he sweat, he toiled. And Jesus says the crop wasn't as a result of just his planting and his plowing and his watering and his working. The crop was a result of something out of his control. And that rich man didn't see it. He failed to recognize God had given him his wealth. And he failed to recognize one day the same God that had given him his wealth would show up again and he would have to give an account to that God for what he did with his wealth. So he may have thought he was preparing for his future, But the parable shows us that his future didn't include God. His future didn't look ultimately to eternity. He used his money like he was a practical atheist. Maybe we would rewrite Psalm 14.1 from the fool has said in his heart there is no God to a fool has said with his money there is no God. Either way, this guy's a fool. He dies. He meets God. He gives an account. Somebody else gets his stuff, just like somebody else is ultimately going to get yours if it lasts that long. And it's not a happy ending, right? He doesn't relax. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. And he ultimately isn't merry. He's a fool. And you need to know that's where bigger barn syndrome always leads. And Jesus ends then with this instruction. Look at verse 21. So is the one, which one? Anyone who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
And let me share with you the point of the parable. I'm going to actually say it in a few different ways. And let me just give you the point of of Jesus' story here. He's saying that foolish people hoard their resources in temporary ways and for selfish reasons. Let, Let me say it in the positive. Wise people invest their resources in eternal ways and for God honoring reasons. Or even more, if you go all the way back to what Jesus had to say about greed and covetousness in verse 15, you might say the point of this parable is this. Wise people guard their hearts from greed by taking what God has given them and using it in a way that's rich in the eyes of God. That's what Jesus is saying. Wise people take what God has given them and they use it in a way that guards their heart from greed by taking it and, and using it in a way that's rich in the eyes of God. So the question that kept going around in my heart this week was, so then what does it look like to live in a way that's rich in the eyes of God, right? If we want to be wise and we want to use our money that way, then, then what would Jesus say? And I want to just show you three things from the surrounding verses here that I believe God considers being rich toward him. And let me start with the first one. Being rich in the eyes of God means trusting him and not your money. Trusting him and not your money. Look at verse 22. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the raven's They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not able to do do as small a thing as this, why are you so anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon... And all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But look at this. If God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Being rich in the eyes of God means trusting him and not your money. It means believing when he says he loves you that he really loves you. It means believing that he will take care of you no matter what. It means that having a loving God is more important to your heart and how you feel and how you live than having money in the bank. Being rich toward God means trusting him and not your money. And and for some of you, one of the things that looks like is it looks like stepping into something we refer to as faith giving. Uh, saying, I'm, I'm going to give not, not just based on what I know I can do, but I'm going to give based on something I believe only God can do. I've heard some stories from people in our fellowship about as they've been praying about how they may give uh, to the, the church of Jesus Christ, they, they've asked that question, God, what might you be calling me to do to give beyond what I know I'm capable of doing? And by faith, those people are saying, listen, we will, we will give our increase 
to the Lord because we believe he's given it to us, but we're believing him for it because if he doesn't give it, then we can't give it back to him. They're giving as an act of faith. And there's something you need to know about that kind of faith. That kind of faith does not begin by trusting God with our money. It begins by trusting God with our very souls. It starts when we come to this place of saying, I need to be prepared for more than just next Friday. I need to be prepared for eternity. And we realize that our sin has separated us from God, meaning that if we pass from this life into eternity, we pass into an eternity that is separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell, that all our sin in the eyes of God has been a separation, a brokenness in our relationship with him. But God gave his son Jesus, right, to live the life we couldn't live and die the death we should have died, to be buried and raised again three days later so that he would not only give his life for us, he'd live his life through us and faith begins in our hearts when we see Jesus as being able and willing to care for our very souls, to provide our deepest need, which is forgiveness, and to depend totally and completely on Him. Not our works, not our righteousness, not our good deeds, to complete, to be completely dependent on Jesus, to make us right with God and be forgiven, and to give us a forever home in heaven with the Father. Faith begins by trusting Jesus with our very eternal well being. And the reality is this. When trusting God begins by depending on Jesus, if you're willing to trust God with your soul, you will certainly trust him with your money. But it begins with faith in the goodness of God for us in Jesus. And so being rich in the eyes of God means trusting him and not our money. So wise people use their money as an expression of of their faith. The second thing is this, being rich in the eyes of God means using your money to advance his kingdom. Look at verse 31. Verse 31 says, instead, instead of living with worry and concern, dreading tomorrow, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. When you trust God and you seek him, you are seeking his kingdom. And when you seek his kingdom, you seek to see his kingdom expanded. And what that looks like in many uh, ways is for us to funnel our lives and our resources into God's kingdom work among the people of this earth to see that people's needs are met by his hands and feet through the expression of his body on earth, his church. And remember, there's no greater need than our forgiveness before God. So we We leverage our lives and our money and all that we have through the church of Jesus Christ to see his name spread, his grace declared. And that's what I believe is the ultimate meaning there in verse 33. In verse 33, he says, where you're, or, or sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys He says, listen, there's a richness that you get when you give your resources for the kingdom work of Jesus. Wise people take what they've been given and they they use it to see the needs of people met, whether it's through food and clothing or even more importantly, the message of the gospel of Jesus. Rich 
people. Being rich in the eyes of God means using your money to advance his kingdom. And the third thing is this. Being rich in the eyes of God means valuing most what is most valuable. Look at verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Whether we want to admit it or not, the issue isn't our money. It's our heart. And our heart is attached. Or better yet, our heart is expressed by the way we use money. The use of of what you have been given, your resources, it actually reveals the condition of your heart. And when we begin to value what God values, his glory, his grace, his gospel, his people, our money naturally follows When we treasure the glory of God, when we treasure the work of Jesus, then our treasure expresses that. We love the idea of people hearing and responding to the good news about Jesus. So we invest our money there, not because we have to, not because we have this bottom line requirement in our church life. We give because we desire it, and we desire it because we value it, and because we value it, our treasure follows our hearts. And we would even be willing to forego some of the pleasures of this life in order to see people blessed with a demonstration and a declaration of the gospel. So wise people invest their resources in eternal ways for God-honoring reasons. They, they, they give in a way that is rich in the eyes of God because they trust God and not their money. Because they seek His kingdom and not their own little kingdom and they They value most what is most valuable. And church, I've got to tell you, I want to celebrate that this morning. I want to celebrate that so many of you in this church family are doing just that. So many of you brought shoeboxes this morning. So many of you brought turkeys this morning. You give to the kingdom work of Jesus Christ And you probably don't do it just to try and beat the Methodists, right? You, that would be nice. You do it because you cherish Jesus more than what you could have purchased in place of those shoe boxes, more than what you could have purchased in place of those turkeys. You give to the ongoing ministries of this church through regular offerings, and you're giving to the first initiative over and above your regular giving. And, and the Bible says when you do that as an expression of faith, as a, as a work of seeking to spread his kingdom news throughout this world, when you're doing it because you value him and his name more than you value that amount of money, the Bible says you're wise and you are rich. You are rich. You are rich in the eyes of God. You are avoiding bigger barns syndrome as you're seeking to be rich toward God. And just like God caused a bumper crop to be raised up through the work of that rich man, so too God gives a harvest for your investment. And we have yet to see all the ways that your investment into the kingdom will bring a harvest, but I want to celebrate some ways we're already seeing it. You guys have already heard a few ways, some of the things that God's doing 
through your giving and, and local schools and hospice ministry and ministry to, to families who have children with special needs. At the close of the service, Pastor Rob's going to share with you an incredible thing that happened this week with Merritt Island High School. Let me just share a couple uh, of kind of big picture things through two ministries in this church family toward our community. In our Agape Pregnancy Ministry, the, the Agape Pregnancy Center, this last year, we were able to perform 240 ultrasounds for women who were pregnant. We administered 218 pregnancy tests. And out of those numbers, 202 women were identified as being abortion vulnerable. That, that means that they had indicators in their life and their circumstances that put them at high risk for choosing abortion. And through the ministry of the APC, out of those 202 abortion vulnerable women, 191 women chose to keep their baby, to, to choose life and either have that child in their own home or to give that child to another family who wanted a baby through adoption. 45 babies have already been born so far this year and received care through our ministry. And two women, two women were saved from life-threatening conditions in their pregnancy because they were able to have an ultrasound at the APC. And above all of that, God allowed us to have 126 one-on-one gospel presentations, and 14 women gave their hearts to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You wanna, and you want to know why? Because wise people aren't building bigger barns. They're serving, sharing, and giving. Through our House of Hope since last November, every week of this year, we've averaged nearly 800 families served. And and get a load of this, just to put it in perspective. Just this year, since last November, we have given 2.5 million pounds of food away. That's a lot of cans. 8,000 people have received clothes. 2,169 people have received medical checkups. More than all of that, 522 people have professed their faith in Jesus Christ. You you, want to know why? You want to know why? Because wise people aren't building bigger barns. They're serving, sharing, and giving. And I could go on and on from our children's ministry to students being reached with the gospel to 500 families being ministered to through our Christian school to English as second language to individuals who are, who are quilting for Jesus. I go on and on with people who are serving through the ministries of this church and all of it represents people who aren't just building bigger barns. They're serving, sharing, and giving. So let me, let me not just end with a celebration. I want to end with a challenge to us. And it goes back to the question that the rich man asked himself. And the question was this, what will I do with what I have? And I want to encourage you to ask it a little bit of a different way. Because it's not so much about what I think I should do with what I have. Because I didn't give it to me. The question is, God, what do you want me to do with what I have? Because you gave me the crop. And here's three ways that I want to pray, pray that you'll consider. Using your increase. What God has given to you. For the kingdom of heaven. 
If you're not already giving to the ministries of our church, I want to encourage you to prayerfully consider starting there. We have been so blessed by the regular giving of the people of First Baptist Merritt Island, but I want to share with you that we actually have a year-to-date shortfall of nearly $200,000. And I know that some of that largely represents the generous giving to the first initiative. I'll share with you some of those, those numbers in just a second. I want to celebrate that, but I want to challenge any of you who aren't already giving to the ongoing ministry of our church through the general giving of our tithes and offerings to consider prayerfully. Is that something God's calling you to do? And you may ask, how much? How much should I give? Well, I'd encourage you to pray about that too. How much does God want you to give? How much becomes an expression of valuing most what is most valuable? How might your finances be leveraged for the kingdom work? My prayer is this, that through the end of year giving, by January 1st, we would make up the shortfall. And I want you to know as leaders, our commitment is that we will not spend more than we receive. But my hope is that we will not have to cut back on any of the ministry that you've heard about this morning in order to live within our means. Would you consider stepping in to giving the regular tithes and offerings? And second, if you're not already giving to the first initiative, this is a really good time for you to jump in. I want to share with you the new offices are working out better than we had hoped. If you haven't already, we want to encourage you to come by sometime throughout the week and take a look around. Uh, I would encourage you not to fumble through the papers on my desk, but you're welcome to look around if you so want. If you have any good sermon ideas, leave them on the, uh, the desk there. But, but the story is this, it's going great. And the, the new children's area is coming along so well. All the drywall is up in the classrooms on the first and second floor. They've got a lot more to go. We've got to do painting and flooring and theming and ceilings, but we're really making great progress there. And I want to remind you that the goal was not just to have better buildings. The goal was to facilitate ministry, and we will be better at serving our community through buddy break with children or families with children with special needs and individuals who have various needs coming to join us on Sunday mornings as we finish those projects that we've begun. And our goal, if you'll remember last year, was that we would give $3.5 million over a three-year period of time. And today, by God's grace, in just under one year of giving, you've already given $1.4 million. Over the next three years, that would, that would work out to be $4.2 million at that pace. And here's the, the story. All of that would depend on God stirring your heart, relying heavily on the gifts of God's people to give for the kingdom work of Jesus. So would you consider that? If you're already giving regularly, would you invest your resources into things that are eternally significant to the ministry of our church? And then the last thing is this. If you've already been giving, some of you have actually experienced an increase this year that was beyond what you expected, maybe beyond what you need. And I just want to ask you to prayerfully consider, would God maybe be calling you to increase your giving? Um, I know that there have been some people who would say they've already given their three-year pledge in under a year, or maybe you're ahead of schedule, or, or maybe there were things you didn't plan on, like a raise at work or a, a financial blessing. If that's your story, I just want to ask, would you consider, would you prayerfully ask God if he's calling you to increase your investment into his kingdom through the first initiative. It might be in a creative way. Some people have given homes, some people have given cars, other things, but I just encourage you, would you ask this question, God, what would you want me to do? 
with what I have been given. And that comes back to that card in the pew there that we gave you earlier. It's actually on one side says my response. And the response isn't to me. The response is to how the Holy Spirit may lead you to step into generous giving as you allocate your resources. So if you feel stirred by the teaching of Jesus, take one of those cards and pray over it. Um, in just a moment, our offering, we're going to give our offering as an expression of praise and thanks to God. And some of you are going to give what had already been laid on your heart or what you'd already determined. And I praise God for that. Some of you may give more than what you determined coming in to the room. Praise God for that. Some of you may have already been praying and know that God wants you to step more deeply into a commitment financially in the ministries of this church. I praise God for that. But I want to ask all of you, Whether you take that card with you or however you may go forward, would you just ask, God, what would you have me do with what I have? Because you're the one who's given it in the first place. And before we move into our offering, I I want us to look back with thanksgiving, to pray in response to what Jesus has done. The ground has produced a crop this year by God's grace. And we would be remiss if we didn't give him thanks for it. So would you bow your heads and move into a a spirit of prayer? And would you give thanks for the things that we discussed this morning? Would you start by thanking God that he has provided for your salvation through the work of Jesus? You don't have to fear eternity. Because of Jesus. You don't have to worry about your eternal future because of Jesus. Would you give thanks to God for his grace to you in Jesus? And and would you give thanks to God for how he's provided your needs. Somehow you've eaten this year. Somehow you have had health to be here today. Would you thank God for meeting your needs? Would you give thanks for the ministry that God is enabling through us as his church? Thank him for those that are serving in various areas of ministry in our church, whether it's ushers and creators, hospice care, in the hospitals, House of Hope, the APC, a ministry you may be aware of and Maybe a ministry you serve in. Would you thank him for enabling that ministry? Would you thank him for the 191 women who chose life? Thank him for the opportunity to share the gospel with 126 women through the APC. Thank him for the 14 who prayed to receive Jesus as their Savior. 
Thank him for the 522 people who prayed to receive Jesus through the House of Hope this last year. Thank him for the kids that are going to receive those shoe boxes. Thank him for the families that are going to gather around the table Thanksgiving and eat the food that the body of Christ provided. Would you thank him for Georgiana, her brothers and sisters down the street? And I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward so that we can give our offering as an expression of praise. Father, I want to thank you for your mercy and grace to us. You are so good, Father. You are so good. Thank you for the opportunity to give a portion back of what you've given to us, Lord. And I ask that we would be wise, that we would take what we've been given and use it for the glory of your name and the advance of your kingdom as an expression of our faith that we trust you to take care of us and meet our needs and we value you more than anything else we would do with the money we're about to give. And Lord, I pray that you would increase, increase, increase our faith to trust you and believe that you love us and you'll take care of us. Increase our ability to serve, share, and give. Increase the number of people in this community who know Jesus and love Him and worship Him. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just build bigger barns, Lord. I pray we'd serve and share and give for the glory of Your name. So receive this offering as our thanks, as our praise, as an expression of our worship. You are worthy, Lord, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.